You are Locked On Fantasy Baseball, your daily fantasy baseball podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, fantasy friends. I'm Scott Cullen, host of Locked On Fantasy Baseball on the Locked On Podcast Network. Today, I start a special series with Locked On Baseball podcast host Aram Layton. For the rest of the week, I'll have parts of my long interview with Aram, breaking down the top prospects and rookies in baseball and what fantasy owners can expect from them long term. Aram is awesome. Uh, I highly recommend checking out these episodes. We will touch on close to 50 rookies and prospects when all is said and done. We're running longer in order to accommodate all this information and analysis that Aaron brought to the table, but it's totally worth it. So first, we'll look at Tuesday's star performers, some injury updates, matchups and DFS tips, and then we'll get into it with Aram Layton. So let's start with a look at Tuesday's stars. Boston Red Sox third baseman Rafael Devers, three for four, scored two runs, had three RBIs, hit two home runs in a 6-5 loss at Philadelphia in game one of their doubleheader. In his last 20 games, Devers is hitting 346 with seven home runs, breaking out of that early season slump. Detroit first baseman Jamer Candelario, two for four, two runs scored, four RBIs, and hit a home run in an 8-3 win against Milwaukee. Candelario's average is up to 319, his OPS up to 915. He was easily picked up uh, earlier in the season if you wanted to, and uh, the results would have paid off quite nicely. Uh, Houston left fielder Michael Brantley, Five for six, two runs scored, two RBIs, one home run in their doubleheader against Oakland. A, a split there for the Astros. Brantley is now hitting 330 with a 971 OPS. Philadelphia third baseman Alec Baum, the rookie, was three for four, had four RBIs in a 6-5 win against Boston. His average is up to 298. He has a 773 OPS. Kansas City right fielder and second baseman Whit Merrifield was two for five, scored two runs, had three RBIs, and a home run in an 8-6 win against Cleveland. Uh, Merrifield hasn't quite performed uh, as, he, as he has in previous seasons, uh, but you, you know the potential is there, and, and he's been a very productive player over the past couple of years. Uh, Baltimore second baseman Pat Vileka, two for five, scored three runs, had two RBIs and a home run in an 11-2 win at the Mets. Vileka, uh, playing some second base uh, on Tuesday, uh, has filled in at both middle infield spots for the Orioles and has been surprisingly productive. Now a couple of pitchers. Uh, start with Miami rookie Sixto Sanchez. Went six innings, gave up three hits, one walk, no runs, struck out six in an 8 nothing win at, at Atlanta. In, in four starts, Sanchez has a 1.80 ERA. Chicago Cubs starter Alec Mills went six innings, gave up four hits, three walks, no runs, struck out six in a 3 nothing win against Cincinnati. He's not quite as highly touted as Sixto Sanchez, but Mills has been a mostly reliable starter for the Cubs. Now for a few injury updates. Look at the Braves had to put starting pitcher Max Fried on the injury list with a back injury. They may be able to summon Robbie Erlin from the bullpen to make a spot start or two if need be. Uh, this doesn't look like a, a serious injury for Fried, but nevertheless, uh, that's a pretty big loss to the Braves' rotation. Padres first baseman Eric Hosmer broke a finger trying to lay down a bunt. Mitch Moreland will now see lots of action at first, likely for the Padres. They could also move Will Myers in there uh, if need be. Uh, Blue Jays designated hitter Rowdy Tellez suffered a knee injury and is headed for an MRI. 
Joe Panic is the only left-handed bat on the Blue Jays bench, so they might dig into the minors. Uh, Billy McKinney, I think, is down there. You could, but there aren't going to be any great options really uh, for the Blue Jays to replace Tellez, at least on the, from the left side of the plate. Our Royals designated hitter Jorge Soler is also down for a couple of weeks with an oblique injury. The Royals have called up Matt Reynolds. Uh, they have Ryan McBroom and Ryan O'Hearn uh, among those who, who will see at bats at designated hitter. Uh, but again, that's a pretty big loss uh, from the Kansas City lineup. Now, uh, when it comes to matchups that I like for Wednesday, there's one. Uh, and it's uh, Miami with Pablo Lopez on the mound, plus 115 at Atlanta, uh, and Tommy Malone. Uh, and it's not, it's not so much that uh, there aren't other games that are, are worth your while. I just, the price uh, doesn't seem to be quite as favorable. And so uh, Pablo Lopez has been quietly effective, I would say, for uh, the Marlins this season. And, you know, there's a 305 ERA, 1.23 whip, uh, 38 strikeouts in 38 and a third innings. And, you know, you can look at that and, and see a, a pretty reasonable starter on, on the mound uh, for the Marlins. Uh, whereas Tommy Malone, while, while he was the uh, sort of ace of the, the Baltimore staff before getting, getting traded, has had a rough ride in his first couple of starts with, uh, uh, with Atlanta. His 11.37 ERA in, in two starts. And so uh, we'll see uh, whether Malone can get on track, but given the choice, uh, maybe, maybe it's a day to decide with the Marlins as underdogs. So now, uh, a, a few daily fantasy recommendations uh, for Wednesday. And, and we'll start with Chicago White Sox pitcher Dane Dunning, $6,500 on DraftKings at Pittsburgh and JT Brubaker. Uh, Dunning has made three starts uh, for the White Sox at a 3.86 ERA, 1.14 whip, 11.6 strikeouts per nine, uh, going against a Pirates lineup that uh, obviously is not great. Uh, and so getting Dunning at that price uh, not a bad, not a bad way to, to spend money on, say, your second starting pitcher uh, on DraftKings. Uh, Miami first baseman and outfielder Garrett Cooper is just thirty-five hundred dollars uh, at Atlanta, uh, going against Tommy Malone. Uh, Cooper missed time at the start of the season, but uh, does have an eight thirty-five OPS and eleven RBIs in twelve games since uh, joining the Marlins. And uh, right-handed hitter going against Tommy Malone, that's a at least semi-favorable matchup. Uh, we'll stack with uh, Miami shortstop Miguel Rojas, $3,900 uh, at Atlanta. And Rojas has missed time with injury this year and doesn't have this uh, a huge track record as a, an offensive force. But this year, he's hitting 367 with a 1040 OPS. Uh, so getting him at a discount price, uh, maybe because he's missed time and maybe because historically he's not such a, a prolific hitter, um, may as well ride him while he's hot. Uh, I, I can... I will continue to, to ride Dylan Moore, Seattle second baseman and outfielder. He's $3,500 at San Francisco uh, with Ty Anderson on the mound. Uh, Dylan Moore, uh, his power, speed, has been really productive uh, in a variety of positions for the Mariners. So at $3,500, he's a, a gift if he's in the lineup. And then one last one for today is Baltimore outfielder Ryan Mountcastle, $3,600 at the Mets and Rick Porcello. Uh, Mountcastle uh, is hitting 339 with a 1004 OPS and has four home runs in 63 plate appearances since since getting called up uh, and certainly to, to put that power into play at, at that price uh, against Porcello is a pretty reasonable uh, approach so uh, coming up next 
the first part of my interview with Aram Layton, host of Locked On Baseball Prospects, where we start tackling the best rookies and prospects in Major League Baseball. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. They have a bunch of great flavors. My favorites are peanut butter chocolate and salted caramel, but they're all low-fat, low-carb, and high-protein, all in a convenient bar. I've been trying to shed quarantine pounds at a boot camp for the past couple of months, and I've been having a little bit of success, but I leaned into it with Built Bar for my post-workout routine, and it gave my muscles the protein boost they needed. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get $10 off your next order. That's BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON to save $10 off your next order and enjoy the best protein bar on the planet. And now, the first of a three-part extravaganza, my interview with Locked On Baseball Prospects host, Aram Layton. I turned Aram loose, told him to say as much or as little as he liked about a long list of prospects and rookies, and, and he was brilliant. I really, really enjoyed this conversation. I hope you will too. Joining me now is Aram Layton, host of Locked On Marlins and Locked On Baseball Prospects. There's one thing that baseball fans love, it's prospects. So who's going to be the latest and greatest to make a difference? I'm way overdue to have Aram on to provide his insight uh, into the best and brightest young players in the game. So Aram, I'm super excited to have you here, uh, but I also have a long list of players to to pepper you with. uh, And so we're just going to get to it and we'll start uh, in the American League and we will work our way through. And my first prospect to discuss is Baltimore Orioles uh, outfielder, Ryan Mountcastle. He's got some power, but what we've seen, at least in his small major league sample, is he's walking a little bit better than he did uh, in the minor leagues. Yeah, you know, he, he's really a guy that's been propelled by his bat. And those are the types mm-hmm. of players that are appealing in a fantasy aspect because he's a little bit limited defensively, which... Yeah doesn't really hurt you because you don't get points for defense. Yeah, so for, for him, it's really all about the bat. And he's been able to really have no problems adjusting to the next level so far. As you mentioned, the walks look impressive because that was something he wasn't doing as much in the minor leagues. You know he can hit for power. And the fact that he's now able to, at least so far, consistently make contact and he doesn't look overmatched. I've been really impressed from from what we've seen from Ryan Mountcastle. And I think that he could be a big part of this core for the Orioles in the future. I think I was most impressed so far by his ability to cut down on the strikeouts because that was something that was a little bit of a concern every time he would get moved up to a higher level. Then he'd seem to work it out and kind of get his his bearings. But so far, it seems like he's been pretty solid with the strikeout rate below 20%. You know, that's all good stuff so far from him. And I'm very high on Mountcastle. I think if you can snatch him up for somebody because he's overlooked right now with all the prospects being called up, Mm -hmm. he's a guy that can definitely be a contributor for a while. You know, you touched on a thing there that is is really important, I guess, in terms of fantasy, is that the guys who are driven by their bats, they're the ones who really matter more uh, in terms of fantasy. Like if you go look at a top prospect list, there will be a bunch of guys on there and who who are partly there because they're really good defensively. Right. And so for fantasy owners, you know, you can get seduced by, oh, wow, this guy's the number 10 prospect. Well, he's the number 10 prospect because he's a fantastic center fielder or, or something like that. Right. Where you, you can get sort of swayed by a prospect list that doesn't necessarily address uh, fantasy. And so you have a guy like Mountcastle, uh, A, who swings the bat, 
uh, but B, the, the bat is really what drives his value. And, and so I think that those are kind of important points that you bring up there. Uh, we're moving on to Boston, uh, where they've uh, called up Bobby Dahlbeck uh, to, to play uh, first base for them. Is he like the, the typical three true outcome hitter come to life? Yeah, yeah, you, you hit the nail on the head there because uh, th- that really is what his issue is, and it always will be, unfortunately. And I think that's a little bit of a pessimistic thing to say, but just watching him, you know, through the years, he's got so much power. We all know that, mm-hmm. and he's he's got so much potential, but the swing is so long, the pitch yeah. selection is poor, and it's one of those things that you're just waiting for it to get better, but it hasn't, and now he's 25 years old all of a sudden, and he still hasn't worked on that. Look, he, he has a spot in, in the major leagues thanks to that power. And because mm-hmm. baseball is much more tolerant of three outcome players, yeah. but still, I, I think that we're, we're expecting too much. If you're going to expect Dalbeck to not strike out at least 27, 28 to 30% of the time, if he can run into 20 balls a year, yeah, you can get some value there. But I think there's a lot of other places to go to get yeah. production over Bobby <laughs> Dalbeck. If you can hope for a late a late resurgence, kind of like Joey Gallo, but yeah. Joey Gallo, I think, is much more dynamic in terms of what he can do at the plate. He's cut down on a swing. He's made a lot of adjustments. So I'm not going to rule out Dalbeck in the fact that he can learn at the highest level and make some changes. But if he has struggled all the way through with the same things, it's going to be tough for him. But overall, he's a major leaguer. I'm not saying he's you know not going to be able to stay up there, but he, yeah. he really is going to be a three-outcome guy unless he can just figure out a way to to at least consistently make contact a little bit more and cut down on that extremely long swing that yeah. really is giving him problems. I know he's 6'4", you know, and it's hard when you're long, 6'4", 227, but he's got to shorten up. If he can, then we got another story of a guy that could end up being a Joey Gallo type. Yeah. Uh, I mean, otherwise he could be a major leaguer, but a major leaguer who hits 190. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Now we're going to go from somebody uh, like Dahlbeck, who I think is sort of a fringe fantasy player, uh, to a guy who is probably one of the most highly touted rookies coming into this season uh, and has probably lived up to the hype. Um, White Sox center fielder, Luis Robert. What is what is his ceiling like? It, like, could he be an MVP candidate at some point? Is it is it that high? I think it's pretty darn close. And, yeah. you know, there, some of the numbers in the first half pointed towards him you're regressing a little bit just because mm-hmm. of you know the BAVIP. You know, it seems like every ball he was putting in play was going for a hit. He slowed yeah, yeah. down a little bit. I mean, that's for sure. But look, he, he's got some things to work out in terms of just getting more polished at the plate. He's also a guy that's swinging and missing a bit too much. But in the minor leagues, mm-hmm. he struck out, but it was never egregious. He seemed to get better as it went on in his minor league career. Right now, I think the league's adjusting to him a little bit, which is fine. Sure. And and you're going to have that learning curve. It's what it's about for me with these prospects a lot of the time is the second adjustment, right? Adjusting mm-hmm. to how the league adjusted to you. And that's yep. the big difference. And he uh, he's going to do that because he has all the tools. He's a guy that's going to steal bases for you. He's going to drive in runs. He's going to hit for power. He's going to do everything. I'd like yeah. to see him continue to improve upon that walk rate because – historically he never really walked above five percent of the time and that's something you wanted to see translate a little bit better into the major leagues he's got the walk rate right around nine percent this year in the major leagues that's something that even when he's slumping you're going to be able to cash in on some points because 
He's going to swipe second base. He's going to score runs. It's a great offense, too. And that's the big thing also. And he's always going to be at the top of the order there. MVP candidate maybe a few years down the road. But sure. because of everything he's able to do, we're talking about the defense. We're talking about being able to swipe bags, set for power, do everything. I think Luis Robert is going to be exactly what we think he can be. And he's the type of player that is going to continue to get better as we watch him. And I'm, I, I marvel at this guy. But I do think that Igor Jimenez is being overlooked a little bit because of the Luis Robert infatuation. And honestly, yep. I could see a scenario where Eloy Jimenez is the better player of the two, and that's not a slight at Luis Robert in any way. Yeah, well, Jimenez just has such awesome power, right, that the, the numbers there could really take off. Uh, now, someone who doesn't have massive power, but Nick Madrigal, second baseman, uh, didn't start the season with the White Sox, has hit well in a, in a dozen games, but he also got hurt. So we, we haven't seen a whole lot of him. Uh, with Chicago does he have does he have a a legit future at second base for the White Sox yeah absolutely because we talk about how the game has gone so far into these you know three true outcome players and Mm -hmm. so frustrating sometimes with these guys that that strike out such a ridiculous amount Nick Madrigal is the antithesis of that and Mm -hmm. he really I, I just don't understand his numbers you could go down the rabbit hole and it's just crazy to look at I mean even in his 40 three at-bats so far in the major leagues. He's only struck out three times. When you look in the minor league numbers, they're pretty similar. That's his game. But also, you got to worry a little bit about, okay, it's nice that he doesn't strike out. And I know a lot of leagues with scoring, you lose points for strikeouts. So that's a good thing. But is he going to be able to be productive, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. he only hit, what, four home runs in his entire minor league career. And even in college, he only hit eight. So home runs are never going to be a part of his game. But can he go gap to gap? Can he really at least hit enough to be productive in terms of being able to put up points and drive in runs without hitting home runs? Maybe. But as I was talking about with Luis Robert, if Madrigal, let's say, is a nine hitter or he's a leadoff type at the top of the order, he's going to score a lot of runs in that offense because that offense is going to be good for a very long time. I personally would like Madrigal in the nine hole because – the cliche second leadoff hitter yeah Mm -hmm. but having your nine hitter be maybe the toughest out in your lineup in terms of just getting him to just go back to the dugout that that could be something that's really valuable and I think if you can stash him on the bench it's worth it because he's going to continue to get better as it goes on in terms of driving gap to gap and maybe honing in on a little bit more power the major league baseball is being juiced is something that could help him (laughs) Because it's a big difference. It really is. You know, I had Griffin Conine, second round pick with the Blue Mm -hmm. Jays on the podcast not too long ago. And he was joking, telling a story about when they were in the minor leagues. You use the regular baseballs throughout the minor leagues. He goes to, uh, they they played somewhere where the AAA team of one of the team's affiliates plays. And they had left the major league baseballs out. So they used batting practice with those balls. And yeah. he was joking that their five foot six second baseman that had zero home runs in his minor league career was putting them 20 rows deep in batting practice. And oh he was missing balls that were carrying out. He's like, yeah. there is a huge difference with these baseballs. And we know that now, too. I'm not saying that Madrigal is going to start hitting a lot of home runs, but he could get more carry. It could be the little difference that he needs because he still hits the ball pretty damn hard and he gets on yeah. base. He walks. And those are the little things that I think should help him. And I'm very curious in a full season sample size, how much the baseballs will make a difference for Madrigal 
and whether he mm-hmm. can hit some, you know, at least 25, 30 doubles, then you're looking at some production there. I think he's as safe as you're going to get with just being able to put up a consistent, decent amount of points from game to game, at least. Sure. Uh, okay, a couple of White Sox pitchers. Uh, Matt Foster has been really good out of the bullpen for them. And, and Dane Dunning, who has come up and made, uh, what, three starts, uh, I guess, since getting called up. Uh, what, do you, do, what do you think of the long-term prospects for either of those guys? So Dane Dunning, really, I, I was cooling off on him a little bit just mm-hmm. because I thought there were so many other arms that were more appealing. But Dane Dunning has really thrown himself right back on the radar. He, he yeah. was a little bit banged up. You know, he, he didn't pitch in 2019. There was a lot of just fade from overlooking him and looking at other prospects because there's so many right now. But Dunning is shown that you got to remember him. He looks really good in his first outing, matching, you know, Casey Mize, actually mm-hmm. outpitching Casey Mize. And the strikeout numbers have been good. The command, yeah. which was something I, I really wanted to look at with him because in college, that was a little bit of the question at University of Florida. He's continued to improve upon that. And it seems like he's come back from the injury much better. I think Dunning is a legitimate number three starter in the major leagues, maybe number four at the worst, but he's going to get you strikeouts. And that's the thing. He's always going to yeah. strike guys out at a, at a pretty solid rate. I would expect about 10 strikeouts per nine. Anything less than that would be surprising. Every level in the minor leagues, he has hovered around 10 to 11 strikeouts per nine. He's at 11.6 right now so far yeah. through his three starts. He's going to he's gonna get roughed up every once in a while. And, and that's just because if, if one of his off-speed pitches isn't on, he doesn't have as much room for error maybe as some other pitchers with yep. some fallback pitches and with a fastball that he can really count on all the time. But I really like Dunning's ability to mix it up overall and, and to get guys to swing and miss. Really, it's that simple. He's yep. going to be a legit major league starter. I, I think he's another guy that's you know you're not taking super early or you're not giving up a ton for. But another guy that you can hold on to and and you got some value there and you can probably plug him in your lineup and he will he will do something for you. And he's going to keep getting better because that's yeah. what he's done in the minor leagues. And coming back from this injury, he's going to keep getting better and better and better. I'm very eager to see what he can do moving forward. But he's one of the guys that when he makes a start, I want to try and go watch and see how much better he got in that sure. given start because it seems like he he builds upon every appearance so far. All right, uh, a couple of Cleveland pitchers. And one of the things, you know, fantasy owners, we generally don't care about relief pitchers. You know, there are some leagues that care about holds, but usually you just want closers. And so the, the setup guy in Cleveland right now, James Karinchak, uh, has been awesome, uh, striking out 17.5 uh, per nine. Uh, and, you know, I think we, we look at him and say, yes, he's capable of being a future closer. Uh, is that is that fair to expect? And And, you know, I don't know that that's necessarily happening immediately in Cleveland, but uh, if you're you know, looking at the long-term prospects of James Karinczak, is, is he a, a likely closer at some point? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And the thing with, with the Indians right now is we just don't really know what direction they're going to be going in. Yeah. I could see them, I could see them selling off at some point just because of the Lindor situation and some other tough decisions that they have to make. But with, with what he has been able to do with getting guys to just flat out swing and miss a strike K percentage right around 50%. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, it's two pitches for him. It's a fastball yeah. and a curveball, and that's it. But they're both such good pitches that that's all he needs. And I, I'm, I'm really, really high on him in terms of being able to be a back end guy. I think with, with 
how much that the Indians have invested into some of the guys in the roster that they don't really want to pay moving forward, as mm-hmm. even in the bullpen considered too. Karen checks a cheap option for them that yeah. clearly gets swings and misses as much as anybody in the game. And he's only going to get better. If he, if he wants to add a third pitch, he can, and that will only help him. He doesn't need to as a closer because of the yeah. two pitches being so effective. His spin rates are off the charts, which you know, points towards his stuff being sustainably good. This isn't, you know, just a, yeah. a little flash in the pan because it is a small sample size. His For strikeout sure. rates have always been ridiculous. The only difference now is he's throwing more strikes and he's he's able to be a little bit more deceptive with those two pitches. I do need to see him consistently throw more strikes, though, because the, there are some concerns with his walk rate. And I think part mm-hmm. of it's because of how good the curve is. It legitimately breaks out of the strike zone. So then yeah. he's falling behind at times and he wants to be a little bit too careful because you don't want guys sitting on your fastball, especially in the back of a game. But the curveball literally like breaks too much out of the strike zone. It's 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 trouble in paradise for Karinchik, but that's the one <laughs> yeah. thing he'll get a feel for. And he's a closer. I, I could yeah. say as soon as maybe next year he'll start closing ball games. That's definitely a guy you, you want to hold on to because he's going to have a good amount of value as a closer as well. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Now, here's the other Indians pitcher I want to ask you about is a guy who I had in my my home league, and then he missed all of 2019, and, and so I, I lost my faith in him. Uh, Tristan McKenzie, uh, who's been suddenly awesome since he got called up. So um, apparently, missing all of 2019 isn't that big a deal. <laughs> yeah, he is. I, ironically, I had done a podcast on the most underrated prospects in baseball. And it was about like two weeks before he got called up. And I was mm-hmm. talking about Tristan McKenzie because I was like, why are we forgetting about this guy? He legitimately was one of the best pitchers in the minor leagues in all of 2017 and 2018. Yep. He had 186 strikeouts and 143 innings in A ball in 2017. Then he goes to double A and puts up even better numbers with a 2680 RA as a 20 year old in double A. The mm-hmm. injuries were, were concerning, but it wasn't like he was dealing with, with a bad elbow or shoulder it was more of a back injury some little twinges in his arm and they shut him down out of out of precaution but this guy is really unique and they call him sticks for a reason he's just super (laughs) tall super skinny six foot five 165 but it creates this really difficult arm action to pick up and he gets a lot of deception on the ball he gets a lot of extension as well too he might be releasing the ball another foot closer to home plate than the average pitcher because of how much extension he's able to get with tall guys. The concern sometimes is being able to repeat your mechanics for him. It really has never been an issue repeating his mechanics. The walk rate has always been pretty low. The strikeout rates always been pretty high. He, he does at times, you know, fall behind hitters and he initially didn't have some of that go-to off speed stuff that he could count on to you know, erase hitters' counts. But he looks yeah. like a different pitcher now. He had worked on the changeup a lot. And as I always say, that's, that's a pitcher's best friend to really get back out of any count that you're in. You, sure. you never have to panic as a pitcher if you have a good changeup. And that was what he worked on in big league camp. That's what he worked on when he was rehabbing and coming back. And that changeup has been something that really helps him against left-handed hitters now too because the fastball and the breaking ball were so good against righties. McKenzie, I, I collect baseball cards. I yeah. invested in Tristan McKenzie's baseball cards. If that, you know, is putting my money where my mouth is a little yeah, bit. Yeah. 
I would definitely get this guy on your ball club. I would go trade for him if you could. He is legit. He's shown he's legit. He's shown that he is fine from the injury now. This isn't, again, this isn't a flash in the pan because he's doing what he was already doing before. He was a first-round pick out of high school for a reason. I really like this kid, and I think that he's going to be a top-end arm for the foreseeable future, and he was part of the reason. There was some other reasons too, but he was part of the reason why Clevenger was a little bit more mm-hmm. expendable for the Indians. Yeah, and you know what the the thing you you talked about earlier about how, you know, why are we forgetting about you know, this guy or that guy. I think the fact that there's no minor league baseball going on made it really easy, right. To lose track of, you know, whatever prospect, because, you know, we're used to, uh, as the season goes on, well, you know, who, who's tearing it up in double a, you know, you go, you go and see the the numbers and, and it's easy to keep track of that. Well, when, when there's no minor league baseball going on, it's really easy to start losing track of, of, uh, some of these prospects and particularly McKenzie, given that he missed all of last season. So, uh, all right, let, let's check out the Detroit Tigers who called up uh, a couple of pitchers who are supposed to be their future, uh, Tariq Skubal and uh, Casey Mize. Uh, Mize was the first overall pick in 2018. Uh, what, do you, what have you seen from, from them, and what do you think about uh, kind of their long-term prognosis in Detroit? So Casey Mize is, is a much safer bet than, yeah. than Skubal because – I'll just start with Mize. He has probably the best splitter I've seen in a long time. Yeah, the splitter is a pretty rare pitch in today's game. You t- typically see more – it's more of guys that either come from other countries or mm-hmm. just not traditional because it's not really a, a pitch that you see college arms throwing here. But for him, it, it's a pitch he's always thrown – but he, he uses it more as he calls it almost a split change because he doesn't grip yeah. it like the traditional splitter, which makes me a little bit more confident because he has had some arm issues. And there are some that believe the splitter could point towards some arm issues or some that don't. Mm-hmm. But overall, that's the only concern with Mize is can he stay healthy because everything else is there for him. For, for him. He's got multiple pitches for a strike. He's got a slider that he manipulates, meaning that it can break a ton and sweep more or it could be a harder cutter type and bust it in on a left-handed hitter's hands. That, that's something that gives him a multifaceted pitch. He's got so much going for him. He commands the zone so well as maybe one of the safest draft picks in a while, a pitcher out of college with still a high ceiling. He's the type of guy that you dream on being able to get a high floor and a high ceiling as long yeah. as he's healthy. Casey Mize is going to be at the top of their rotation for a while. I will say, though, I am the highest on Matt Manning out of that Detroit system. And I think Matt Manning is going to be the best out of all of those prospects because he, talking about guys that are taller and struggle to repeat their mechanics, that was always the story for Matt Manning. But he Mm -hmm. has continued to improve. He has made a ton of adjustments about in terms of being able to repeat those mechanics he's quieted things down and now he's throwing way more strikes and walking way less guys because it was a huge problem for him he walked 51 in 117 innings back in 2018 then he gets to 2019 and only walks 38 in 133 innings and the strikeout numbers have always been there the whip was under one for the first time in his career in a full season he continues to get better he was drafted out of high school as a guy that was playing basketball and baseball, his father played in the NBA. He was committed to play both at Loyola Marymount, I believe. And mm-hmm. that was 
kind of something that he got an offer he couldn't refuse. He's six foot six. He's like, you know what? I'm going to pitch instead. And instead of averaging 20 points a game, which is what he did in high school, then he started really focusing on pitching. And it was an adjustment for him. But now he's really hitting his stride. He might be called up at some point by the end of this year. I think he can be the best. Scooble, he's a little bit concerning to me in the, in the respect that I don't know if he can remain a starter. That's yeah. the slight concern I have is just the reliever risk. Because with Scooble, he throws the fastball roughly 70% of the time. And there's not really a pitcher in baseball besides Lance Lynn who does that as a starter. Mm-hmm. And Lance Lynn throws about four different variations of that fastball. <laughs> yeah. Scooble's fastball is incredible. And that's why he got 80-something strikeouts in 40 innings in A. But when you get to the major league level and guys know a fastball is coming, it's a little bit different. And it seems like that's been the case for Scooble. He's been able to battle. He's got a good slider. But for him, he, he reminds me a lot of Josh Hader. And that's not a bad thing. It's mm-hmm. just if he's Josh Hader, then he's going to get moved to the bullpen. And yeah. he's not going to do you any fantasy value unless he's definitely a closer. And that's yeah. where you're a little bit stuck there. I would wait and see on him. I really wouldn't do anything with Scooble yet. I'd rather lean towards Matt Manning. As for Casey mm-hmm. Mize, just to wrap up on him, he, yeah. he struggled in his last few starts. You know, he's gotten yeah. knocked around a little bit, and that's mostly because he's been falling behind and counts for the first time in his life. I think that the, the changeup hasn't been there quite as much. And that splitter is supposed to be, you know, a double-plus pitch. And it, he just hasn't been locating it as well. He's going to be fine. Like I'm not worried about his ERA being in the sixes and mm-hmm. you know the fact that he's getting knocked around. He'll be fine. It's just a learning curve for him. But I, I do hope that everything's good in terms of his health moving forward. But if I'm going to take one guy out of that trio, it's Matt Manning. Outstanding. That's, uh, okay, now here's an unusual uh, prospect. Is their infielder Willie Castro? who when he played for the Tigers last season, he had like a 624 OPS and 110 plate appearances. Okay, so so far this year, he's he's only been up for 67 plate appearances. He's hitting 349 with a 920 OPS. He's also walked once. Um, is this just a, an unsustainable heater from Willie Castro and, and it is due to come back down? Yeah, it's tough because, you know, I often I want to say this guy's made some tangible adjustments and he's going to be good, but especially in a season like we're looking at right now where a guy could get off to a hot start and we feel like we're deep into this season and it's like, Oh, he's having a great year. Well, yeah, he is having a great year, but it's a small sample size, right? It's 18 games. And you you mentioned he's walked once he's (laughs) struck out still roughly 27% of the time. I I think Willie Castro can be a major leaguer. Don't get me wrong, but he's propelled right now by a 442. BABIP, which is yeah. way higher than anything he's <laughs> yeah. ever had in in any level. And so that just points towards natural regression. Also, w- when a guy is making these huge jumps off the chart or like making these major improvements, I look at the video, right? Because I want to say, okay, has he made some adjustments that I can see mm-hmm. that clearly, you know, point towards him having those improvements? And look, Sometimes the adjustments you make are approach oriented. Sometimes it's things that you can't even see. I know that, but with, with guys that make that extreme of a, of a change, I just did a, a full podcast on Kyle Lewis and the changes that he made from two years ago to now in terms of his swing, his approach and everything. And it's tangible. You can really see and make sense of all of the adjustments that he made. Castro, it really points towards every, as much as I want to believe it, everything that I see tells me that you know this is a little bit of 
as I said before, this is a great example of a flash in the pan. And yeah. I think he's going to cool off and come back to earth a little bit soon. Yeah. I, I, th I think that's fair, but it just, it, it's a, a striking contrast to, in what he's done from last year to this year. Uh, and, and honestly, the one walk in 67 plate appearances is fantastic. All right. Houston starting pitcher, Kristen Javier. I mean, the, the Astros have got basically a whole bunch of young guys pitching behind uh, Zach Granke right now. Um, but Javier seems to be quite successful for the most part. Hey, he's been a, a pleasant surprise. He really has. And, you know, he was mostly a guy that you didn't know if he was going to be a starter. Still, we have to see if he can be stretched out more because yep. you've seen the Astros be pretty careful in terms of, of really taking him deep into ball games, And that's because he's never really had a full season where he was exclusively a starter. And I don't know if that's because they were unsure of what they wanted to do with him. I know that some of sometimes you look at his stuff and it kind of points towards a reliever type. But if you can make a guy a starter, if you can somehow get a starter out of a guy that you might have thought was a reliever, as you know, the value is way higher. So mm -hmm. far, what's been the most impressive with him is the ability to get weak contact. Because as a reliever, I think he was he was able to get a lot more swings and misses. And even as a starter in the minor leagues, he was able to get more swings and misses. I think now that he's trying to go a little bit deeper and stretch himself out. He's been able to pound the strike zone and get a lot of weaker contact and not have to lean on the strikeouts quite as much. His strikeout rate's actually the lowest it's been in his entire career at only eight per nine innings. Really, he's yep. always been in double digits or higher. So uh, while that would, I'd like to see that be a little bit better to point towards some sustainable success, it's, it's in a weird way encouraging too because he's not giving up many hits either and he's still able to get plenty of outs. He's throwing strikes. Look, he's given up nine home runs in mm -hmm. nine games and that's a little bit concerning to me but you keep in mind the fact that he's pitching in houston and it's a little bit of a band box but that being said he, he can't do that right he can't give <laughs> no, up nine, no, that would be too many nine starts so that, that's the problem is he's getting weak contact a lot of the time but then he's giving up balls that just go out of the yard so there, there's really no in between right now because the whip's below one but mm -hmm. nine home runs, it, just, it doesn't really make sense. It's like not a lot of hits, but a lot of home runs. It's a really weird and it's hard to really break down. And, and it's kind of a cop-out answer, but I'm going to have to say I have to see more from him sure. because I, I don't know what figure is more important right now because he is getting low exit VLOs, but he's also giving up a lot of home runs. Yeah. And I just, I got to see more on Javier, but I will say he is intriguing and did definitely to keep an eye out on this guy. Yeah. Is it, is it like his mistakes are just really bad mistakes? I, I guess so. <laughs> Maybe for the most part, he's, his pitching is, has been effective, but then when he makes a mistake, it's like, it's a doozy. And, and I, I guess, right? Because it's, it's what it seems like because overall, he, like I said, he's been able to at least keep guys in check relatively well. Yeah. And then, yeah, when he makes a mistake, he doesn't get away with it. So it could be a little bit of bad luck too, you know, yeah. and that that's something that could, could be a part of it also. But the fact that he's in the 86th percentile in terms of getting weak contact is just yeah. what makes it so confusing because it's like, well, why is this guy giving up bombs if he doesn't give up a lot of hard contact? And I yeah. guess you hit the nail on the head. His mistakes are just right now he's not getting away with them. But yeah. I think if any, if I'm going to gun to my head, come away with, the best potential you know, outcome of this and what I really think is the most realistic thing to mm -hmm. take away from these numbers. I'd say that it points towards him probably being better than he is right now, because 
hard hit percentage is a larger sample size than home runs, right? Home yeah, runs could be sure. nine bad pitches. Hard yep. hit percentage is every pitch you throw. So yep. th- that's definitely something that I would come away with feeling more positive and putting more weight at least into that stat. All right. Uh, awesome. Uh, Kansas City Royals, a couple of uh, early picks from 2018 uh, in the rotation. Uh, Chris Bubich and Brady Singer. Uh, what, do, what do you think of them? Yeah, so I actually went, I went on the Locked On Royals podcast and talked about these guys early in the season. And I yeah. think that th- they did a great job when it came to dr- drafting these arms. They went super arm heavy back in, I believe that was 2018. Yep. And it was a great draft for them where they were able to get several major league arms out of that with Singer and Bubich being two of them. And college level arms with still relatively high ceilings, which was Again, something that's pretty rare to find. I will say that Brady Singer has been a little bit of a disappointment so far. And, mm-hmm. you know, that, that's okay. You know, he's 23 years old. He's still got plenty of time to figure it out. But w- when we're looking at what Brady Singer was able to do in college and in a large body of work in the minor leagues, he was supposed to be the number one overall pick undisputed going into his junior season or senior season. But then it just seemed to fall apart for him a little bit. You know, he still had a yeah. good year. But when you're talking about a guy that's supposed to go first overall, he's got to put up some pretty gaudy numbers to meet that expectation, and he didn't. And Mm -hmm. it was a little bit of a concern for the first time in his career with command, and he was giving up some more hard contact than he ever had before. He still was able to adjust in the minor leagues and and pitch pretty solid. But I'd say with Brady Singer, he's he's never going to be an ace. You know, That's not anything that you can expect out of Brady Singer at this point. But he is a legitimate major league caliber starter. He's better than he's pitching right now. And he's still getting his feet wet. He just really doesn't have any plus pitch to count on. He's just got three pitches that he can throw for a strike that are solid yeah. major league pitches. None are plus pitches. To me, he he's pretty boring. And I don't mean <laughs> that in an offensive way. It's just he, he doesn't have anything that jumps off the charts. He's nothing to be yeah. thrilled about. But he is a guy that you can plug into your lineup and is going to be a very average major league starter moving forward. He's better than his numbers are now. And I think that it's realistic to point towards a, a high threes to maybe a four low fours ERA every year with some decent strikeout numbers. And, you know, he'll have a surprise season here and there, I think, where he keeps it in the low threes. But I just don't know if I see much more beyond that. As for Bubich, he might have a little bit higher of, of a ceiling just because of his sheer stuff. And as a left-handed pitcher that's tall and deceptive, I think that he has a better shot. But even mm-hmm. he has been a little bit disappointing so far as well. And the the trend with these guys, it seems like, and adjusting to the major leagues is keeping the ball in the yard. And that's yeah. because of the philosophy now in the major leagues. You mentioned the baseballs and some other things that factor in as well. Bubich has put up some great numbers throughout his minor league career. I'd say more impressive numbers than Brady Singer put up. He was a little mm-hmm. bit of a late bloomer in college too. You know, really struggling his freshman year was all right mm-hmm. his sophomore year, then was lights out his junior year after a really good summer in the Cape Cod League where it really seemed to click for him. So I think Bubich is a guy that's going to continue to improve as we see him. And he's another one of those guys that as he plays more, spends more time at each level, seems to get more acclimated. Keep in mind, Bubich was brought up straight from high A. So this is a mm-hmm. guy that skipped the double A stint and went straight from high A where he was putting up great numbers 110 Ks in 101 innings, had a 2.30 ERA, looked really, really solid. The whip was right at one. 
So I, I think he's going to be good, but he made a major leap from high A to, yeah, to the major leagues. Way. Exactly, exactly. And I would have loved to have seen some double A numbers, but as you mentioned earlier, you know, with no season, the Royals thought he was ready. And I would say that's a really high vote of confidence in Bubich. And I don't think they would have ever done that with Brady Singer based on the stuff that he has. The Royals mm-hmm. believe that Bubich's stuff is already major league ready as a guy that's never pitched above eight ball. That's something that I think should be telling that Bubich is the more valuable of the two. Yeah, yeah, good point. Now, moving on to the Angels, where right fielder Joe Adele is one of the top prospects coming into the season. But when he finished last year at AAA, had no home runs, and I want to say 27 games at, at AAA. I think in an ideal world for the Angels, Adele would have you know started playing in the minors this year, and then if he was hitting, you, you could bring him up. Uh, but since that that world didn't exist. Uh, they did bring him up, and, and so far he hasn't really been able to uh, to hit a whole lot for, for the Angels. Is this just a matter of they're going to have to wait for him to catch up? Yeah, you know, that's the thing. is is With prospects, I think we often want these instant results, especially if you're stashed a guy on your squad for like a couple <laughs> of years now and you're waiting for him. Fantasy owners get impatient. Yeah, well, fans get impatient. You know, I, I also cover the Marlins and mm-hmm. I do the Locked on Marlins podcast, and the Marlins are, are calling up prospects left and right right now, and, and some of them are struggling. It's just it's the nature of it. But, you know, people have been waiting on these guys for so long. It's like they finally come up, and you, you want to see results. The, the no home runs in AAA was concerning for, for, for a huge reason being, again, the baseballs, right? We, we see huge power number jumps in AAA that make, make my job harder because I have to think, is this guy really going to be able to offer this kind of power or not? Going back to the Marlins with Isan Diaz, he always had a little bit of power, but then he goes to AAA and hits 26 home runs. I'm like, did he have this breakout or is he just really benefiting from AAA in the PCL, which is hitter's heaven? It, it makes it a lot harder. And yeah, the fact that Joe absolutely. Adele was not able to do that and was not even able to relatively hit for power at all in AAA is a little bit concerning because the big difference between AA and AAA isn't the talent level. It's the experience. A lot of the guys mm-hmm. in AAA – are guys that have already pitched in the major leagues. They might yep. not have the 98-mile-an-hour fastball, but they can throw strikes and they can throw three pitches for a strike. When you're in high A and double A, it's a lot of 98-mile-per-hour guys that are still trying to feel out their breaking stuff. In triple yep. A, it's guys with not as good a stuff, but more pitches for a strike, and it seemed like that did not bode well for Joe Adele because he started to see more breaking balls and more breaking balls for strikes. You're seeing the same thing in the major leagues now too. And that's why his strikeout rate jumped to 33% in AAA. And that's why it's at 39% so far this season. Look, it's only a hundred plate appearances. I'm not saying that we should forget about Joe Adele. He has all the makings to be a star and, and a true five tool player. If he can put it all together, I, I really like his, his bat to ball skills overall. It's just the pitch selection and his approach right now is a little behind. He's still so young. And he's yeah. still so toolsy. I really am. I, I'm, I'm disappointed just because I was so excited to see him play. I still mm-hmm. think that he is going to figure it out. And he's going to be a really valuable part of this future of their ball club. It's just a strikeout rate. It's got, it's got to be cut down. And <laughs> he's got to be able to walk. Of every he's gotta, <laughs> yeah, you just can't do that. And, you know, look, I know that he's got the learning curve. I think he's come on a little bit more strong now. In, in the last couple of weeks, I've seen some improvements and he did have that multi home run game. The exit velos are off the charts. It, it, the defense is there. 
it's just right now he, he wasn't ready. You mentioned yep. he, he would have needed at least a half a season in the minor leagues. He wasn't ready. But I think coming back next year, he he, he could be an Aaron Judge type where I'm not saying he's going to put up Judge MVP numbers, but Judge was terrible in but his have first a stint breakout. because of swing, swing and miss concerns and, mm-hmm. and a big learning curve. I think he could put it together and have a massive breakout because of how good of an athlete he is, the power that he offers, and the speed that he offers as well. He mm-hmm. can contribute to your fantasy lineup in a lot of different ways, and he needs to get on base to do that. But I think he'll start doing that a little bit better, and he's got to walk at a better than 6% rate right now. Yeah. All right, so we've, we've talked about a lot of uh, pitchers, and a lot of them are, are you know, impressive prospects who, who throw really hard. Now I'm moving to Minnesota, where I'm going to talk about Randy Dobnak, who is soft-tossing his way to a 2.72 ERA and a 1.26 whip, uh, but he has 4.8 strikeouts per nine uh, in eight starts. Uh, is there is there a long-term future for Randy Dobnak in, in the Twins rotation, or is this just a, um, a a brief moment in the sun? I think there is. Look, I yeah. don't know if he's going to make these types of, of numbers sustainable. Yeah. Um, you know, he's really doing great right now. But he, he's the type of pitcher that's kind of become a dinosaur in the major leagues, and it's just a true sinker baller that gets a lot of weak contact, like a Derek Lowe type or or a Brandon Webb type. And then the problem with these guys is they'll have mixed in just a terrible year sometimes when mm-hmm. the sinker's not working too well, and then you know they get teed off on. But yep. he throws the sinker 44% of the time. The slider is also a plus pitch to me from what I've seen. And he throws that a third of the time. And then he mixes in a changeup as well, which is just kind of funny because then he only throws a fastball four, four to 5% of the time, but he commands the zone really well, both sides of the plate with those three pitches that he likes to throw. And look, he's never going to strike guys out. That's, that's not no. going to be his game. It's just weak contact, weak contact, weak contact. The average launch angle right now against him is 2.2. <laughs> so he just, he just gets people to beat balls into the ground. And yeah. look, he's going to have some blow-up starts. I think that's something that you're, you're going to have to deal with because mm-hmm. when that sinker is not sinking, he's going to have to try to make do with what he's got. But yeah. still, this is a guy that that's going to be a major league starter for a while, a back-end guy that you can count on to eat innings and get outs. So that will do it for today. I will be back tomorrow with more fantasy baseball news, as well as part two of my interview with Aram Layton of Locked On Baseball Prospects. Send me your questions. I'm at ByScottCullen on Twitter. The show is at LO underscore FantasyMLB on Twitter. If you want to send an email, send it to LockedOnFantasyBaseball at gmail.com. Find us, subscribe, and rate us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. That wraps up this edition of Locked On Fantasy Baseball. Now tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of Locked On Baseball. Stay safe, stay locked in with Locked On Fantasy Baseball, your daily source for fantasy news and analysis.